Cultaholics. Synthaholics, thank you so much for downloading this episode. Today you have myself, Aaron O'Brien. We have David Duncan. Shout out Mapes. Ha- Shout out Mapes. And then we have our uh, returning guest, Guy Davis. Hello, Guy. Hello. Thank you for having me on board. Yes. Uh, so, so guys. Kid Rock? Kid Rock. <laughs> <laughs> what? Hey, um, we talked about Kid Rock a lot uh, four years ago when we talked about um, Eight Years Till Sanctuary. Uh, KB, or what was his name? Casey? Oh, I forgot. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. But he was, he was Kid Rock. You went back and listened to that episode. I, I listened, listened to that episode the other day, and I, I can't remember his real name because we called him, ever since I started calling him Kid Rock, uh, that pretty much stuck the rest of the episode. Yes, because right. he because he did look like Kid Rock. Rock. Um, so, guys, this episode we are talking about the Deep Space uh, Nine episode, uh, far beyond the stars. Uh, we have been um, thinking a lot about um, the, the issues that we are facing today, and we kind of thought this would be a good episode to delve into some of those issues. Um, just so you know, we probably are going to talk about um, current events, and we're probably going to talk about some political things. If that's not your bag and you want to do something else, listen to something else, we totally get it. Um, but we felt like there's something we want to talk about, and it was important to all of us. Um, so just our little pre-warning that we're going to get into things that might touch a nerve once in a while. Uh, yeah, and, and, and also, if you're a long-time listener of the fan, consider this like a sequel to um, Eight Years Till Sanctuary, since we are now only four years till Sanctuary. So, Dave, why don't you just give him a little like primer from that episode? I honestly, I remember us talking it. I don't remember a lot about it. Well, basically, I started off. I mean, we 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 talked about the episode like we normally do. We poked fun like we normally do. You know, we said these were really solid episodes, and that they were surprisingly apt down to the Yankees winning the World Series in the year that Star Trek said it did. Uh, mm-hmm. So we, <laughs> Star Trek got that uh, on the mark uh, for the Yankees winning that year. And uh, basically, I, I, we were on the cusp of the 2016 election. And I was, uh, and the episode ends, the past tense episode ends with Bashir saying, how did it get this bad, Benjamin? Or something like that. <laughs> and <laughs> and basically, my, my point was, it got so bad because of the 2016 election. Because we had uh, no choices, but the wrong choice. Um, right. Every choice was wrong, and I, I, that's how I felt personally. I'm, I'm sure some people felt the same way as me. There was no good choice, and some people abstained to vote, or some people voted one way or the other just because they didn't like the one person more or less. Uh, my opinion personally was they were both not good candidates, and I didn't want to vote for either one of them in good conscience. And, you know, you two both had your own opinions on that uh, as well, but... You know, that was kind of where I went with, and that was my answer to Julian's question. 2016 election, this is why we get sanctuary districts. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so that was, and I, I do recall that episode, and we were thinking, like, oh, my God, wonder if it's going to turn out like that. And 
It kind of has. <laughs> I mean, like uh, they aren't the bell guy, riots. Guy was just guy was just telling me about the bell riots being one of the most uh, looked at pages on uh, memory alpha. Memory alpha right now. So <laughs> it's like that's a little disturbing, guys. I know. So, uh, guy, explain to people if they don't know what the bell riots are. The bell riots were uh, in the in the episode sanctuary or in the episode. Sorry, not the episode Sanctuary. The Sanctuary episodes, which is a two-parter that we're talking about here. The Bell Riots were started by... Uh, there are a series of riots that took place in September of 2024. They started in San Francisco's District A Sanctuary. And they were started by a guy named Gabriel Bell, who we all, in the episode, was was played by... Uh, or was, play, was played by Benjamin Sisko, who was played by Avery Brooks. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Right. Right, because that's part of the, that's part of what's going on in past tense one and two, mm-hmm. um, but it had said that or but the the point was there's a bunch of riots because these sanctuary districts were where poor people were being effectively locked away. Yeah, um, these it was escape from problems. New York on a bigger scale. Right, right, but it was it was for their own good, right, yeah, right, um, and we had the, the gimmies uh, and the dims. Yeah, the gimmies, the dims, and the ghosts were the three slang terms that were there. And last time, Guy uh, presented himself as a dim. Right, I was dim. I was totally <laughs> you were the, dim. You were the dim. Yeah. So I, was I, I the gimme? I, I don't remember. <laughs> Aaron was the ghost. <laughs> right. You had all three. This of is because I have. I'm so light skinned. That's why. Oh, gotcha. By the late 2024, they had like 20 blocks made up for Sanctuary District A, and it just become a slum. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, the people inside the sanctuaries were not, didn't exist on the internet. And so it was like, nobody really knew what was going on there. Right. But the point that was kind of interesting that makes me really think about sanctuary districts and stuff like that was everybody who was in the sanctuary districts was invisible. They weren't seen. Right. The world didn't see them. Right. And the answer that they came up with for past tense one and two was to make the people be seen, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating in current events. We sure. have almost the same thing going on right here. We have an invisible culture, a culture that's been, you know, just kind of downgraded and downplayed, and it's invisible. It doesn't exist in the greater scheme of things. And the answer right now is for them to be seen. So, right. Exactly. And it makes sense. And, you know, there's a lot of a lot of issues we can dive into uh, with that. But that's uh, that's interesting that we talked about that and we felt that that was very important at the time. Right. Still is. But this episode, we are talking about uh, Far Beyond the Stars. And this is uh, season six, episode 13 and first aired February 11th. 1998. We start off with uh, Cisco and his father uh, in from Earth, and he just gets news that the uh, the USS uh, Cortez had been destroyed, and that one of his uh, a friend of his of Cisco, I, as I believe, uh, is his name uh, Swal- Swalford. Swalford. Yeah, Quinlan Swalford. And he, and so he was killed on that, and he's pretty upset, and and Cisco's kind of like tired of making decisions and tough decisions it's it's wearing on him so when he's uh talking to his father about this and 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 kind of feeling down he sees a man walk by in a 
and a hat and a suit. He looks out like Rene Arbogenois. Yes, he does. He does. And it's like, who's that man that just walked by? And like, what are you talking about? <laughs> As a side note of continuity, the Cortez shows up the first time in Sacrifice of Angels, which is a great episode. It's oh. one of the ships that was uh, ordered back into the fleet to help at the uh, help that help that battle. Why? And, and, and it ravaged Peru like nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> You're just saying. And it actually was, in fact, named after Cortez. The- <laughs> not, not a good name to name your ship after. <laughs> Which is why you know, I said conquistador. that. <laughs> hey, conquistador! Uh, it's uh, maybe maybe it was a conquistador class, and then they were all oh, yeah. conquistador they class. Conquistador and, they were, <laughs> and then they're all named after different conquistadors, and this one's named after Cortez. That would be great, right? Oh no! There goes the Aztecs again. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, then later on, uh, Cisco is in the hallway and he's uh, with Cassidy Yates and he's kind of like talking to her and he's he's feeling kind of upset still about everything. And then that's when we see a baseball player walk by and says, hey, Benny, catch the game. And this is uh, Michael Dorn, of course, without uh, his makeup. It's so hard uh, to recognize without his makeup. I know. So sorry to see him without. I know, right? And uh, he's he's sort of like, "What the hell?" And so he goes into the room where this um, uh, baseball player walked into, and, and all of a sudden he's transported. Yeah, he's transported in the middle of New York City, and he's hit by a taxi. And next, we get uh, Cisco's back in the infirmary, and uh, Bashir is looking at him, kind of looking looking him over. And this is where he says that there's something kind of weird here because your neural patterns look look different. So he's kind of this is your brain. This is your brain <laughs> on profits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any exactly. questions? Thank you. Any questions? So. Um, so he, uh, Cisco looks at the uh, at the uh, information pad that he that uh, Bashir is looking at. All of a sudden, it turns into the copy of Galaxy. It's a sci-fi magazine, and he's at a newsstand. And Nog's and yelling Cisco, at him. And he's not, yeah, Nog's yelling at him. And he's not Cisco anymore. He's Benny uh, Benny Russell. I'd like and, to really quickly break in here that what what uh, David's referring to, by the way, is the episode Rapture, which happened the season before. So. Okay. It's where that I just wanted to kind of <laughs> I'm making all the connections apparently to all the other episodes. We're in that part of Deep Space Nine where it's actually they're they're doing a lot of crosstalk between episodes. So one makes yeah. sense. Oh, thank, thank you for being the glue. I, I'm yeah, right. I'm the glue. I am the glue. Guy is glue this time and not the dem. Right. <laughs> Which means that insults bounce off of you and stick to me. Wait, that's not good. And I'm the popsicle sticks. <laughs> right. There you go. Um, and I'm a rubber band. What? So, so, <laughs> so uh, Benny then goes to the office. Or a MacGyver's oh, wet dream. MacGyver's wet dream. <laughs> nice. Everything he needs. MacGruber. So yeah. So Benny goes to the office, and uh, these are all the people. Uh, that we know, obviously, from Peace Space Nine. The street vendor is actually Nog, but he's uh, another person. And we, But we also see uh, Miles O'Brien, and we see Kira. And these are characters that are there with, working with Benny at, at this uh, sci-fi magazine. Kira's so a DC Fontana wannabe. 
Yes, exactly. And uh, Benny is writing for uh, Incredible Tales. It's a science fiction magazine. And they're all sitting there talking about uh, donuts, how the donuts are all crappy. Yeah, the Battle of the Donuts. Well, you know, when Quark doesn't have Latinum to talk about, it's donuts. Well, you know, they're kind of interchangeable. And this is when Martok... Or the illustrator shows up with a bunch of sketches that he did uh, for them to base off their ideas. And one of them is a space station. And Benny really likes a space station. He goes, ooh, I like this. So he's going to write a story about that. So this is kind of what he uh, gets. It, 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 like something about that triggers his imagination. So It's like a 1950s take on Deep Space Nine. It's pretty cool looking. Yeah, it is. Very much so. So when uh, they're uh, oh, and the other thing is uh, an issue that comes up is their their publisher wants them to take photos of all their all the staff writers, but unfortunately, um, what's her name? Uh, Kira's character uh, cannot. Uh, K Eaton, uh, KC, yeah, can't um, uh, can't be there. So he says you need to sleep in late, and obviously. Um, Benny can't be there either because if we didn't mention this before, they are uh, been he's been transported back into 1953. So segregation and and um, obviously racial divide is very much alive uh, during this time. So if there was a black writer, obviously people might be upset and not buy the magazine or boycott it or whatever else. So uh, that's what they're afraid of. And he says it's nothing personal, Benny, but as far as our readers are concerned, Benny Russell's rice uh, was white like they are, and let's keep it that way. So, And some of the uh, uh, characters are a little upset by that, too. They're like, come on. Quark but. is one of Cisco's biggest defenders. It's really kind of funny, like how the roles are reversed, where like Odo's usually got Ben's back uh, when other things don't like kind of like get in the way between his loyalties and then Quark's always like you know he's never got anyone's back but his own and so it's kind of funny how the roles are kind of reversed in this yeah right later that evening Benny uh is leaving the office of his uh, magazine and that's when he runs into two police officers uh that are detectives and they yeah and they and they really give him shit over, you know, they like his his uh, the illustration of the space station kind of flies out of his hand and falls by the police detectives and they step on it and they're like, you know, what are you doing in this building? Who are you? And he's like, I work here. And like, you look kind of good at your you're suspiciously uh, well dressed for a janitor. And he's like, I'm not a janitor. I write for them. So so automatically they're disparaging him and they're kind of. I mean, they crumple up the picture and they, you know, they kind of give him shit. So they're obviously just harassing him. We'll give you a warning this time. For what? Yeah. Basically, yeah. Just, just for being black. That's really what it comes down to. And when he, after he has that encounter with the police officers, he starts uh, heading home. And this is where Preacher, which is basically his father in the uh, in the D Space Nine era, is uh, telling him. He goes, "Write those, write those words, brother Benny. You know, God's uh, the God of the spirits of the prophets." So he's trying to get Benny to start writing, and it kind of freaks Benny out, but it also kind of seems like it inspires him a little bit. So uh, then he heads back to his apartment. And when he's getting ready to write uh, for his uh, uh, about the space station story, he looks out the window, and as he looks out the window, he sees uh, Captain Benjamin Sisko looking at him. So uh, through the reflection of his window, so and this is like what the heck? So he decides that he's going to write the story. So he writes the story uh, all night, 
and the next morning he comes in uh, to see uh, his girlfriend uh, Casey or uh, Cassie Yates who, who works at this diner and uh, he's all excited to tell her about this great story that he wrote. It's like it's the best story I've ever written. And so he's excited about that. But then the big baseball player, Willie Hawkins, or Worf, comes in. And he's got like four girls with him. And he's still hitting on Casey. Yep. And he's uh, he's very famous for his playing, especially in the neighborhood. And they even mentioned, like, why don't you move, move out of this area and get, uh, you know, uh, into a nicer area and he goes are you kidding i'm like a god here is this anywhere else they just look at me as a black man you know like why are you here so he 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 wants to stay in this area because he knows that people are so um entranced by his yeah. success yeah. yeah and you know even racist to the people who are super successful it's it's just bad news for the and, time. and i believe baseball just during this time is when they start allowing black players i don't know exactly when that exactly started because i'm not a huge baseball historian but i know there was a time when baseball was completely segregated and at some point they let people you know black people start playing within the, the regular baseball, baseball teams yeah. yeah major league baseball thank you so i'm not sure of what year that takes place but obviously this was right around that time so and we uh, so and the other thing is uh, K- uh, Casey saying, hey, the owner of this uh, restaurant says they might be willing because they're getting older. They might be willing to sell it to them and they could buy the restaurant and make a good living off it. And Benny's sort of just like, why would I do that? I'm a writer. I, you know, and he's like, yeah, but how much money have you actually made? This we could really do well if this restaurant if we bought this restaurant. So I make sense on the word. What are you talking about? I know. Right. So when uh Oh, and then also we meet uh, Jimmy, which is Jake, and he's sort of like the street uh, street kid, and he's trying to hustle all the time. He's, he's trying like to get nineteen fifties like... Lando, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, he's trying to hustle all the time, and and uh, Benny's trying to saying you can't be doing this stuff. You should just get you know be on the straight and narrow, get get a, a decent job. And he's like, I like keep my own hours. I'm kind of doing my own thing, so. He doesn't want to listen to Benny at all. Any so, trouble which, I can get into, I can get out of. Right, right. And um, when they, Jimmy hears about Benny's story about his idea of a, a black man being, you know, a, um, a captain of a space station, he's like, yeah, right. Like, that's ever going to happen. So Benny takes this story over to the magazine Incredible Tales, and everyone... It's called the story is called D Space Nine. Everyone loves it. Everyone thinks it's amazing. It's the best thing they've read in a while, and they can't wait. You know, to you know, they, they you know they want they want a lot of you know to see the story published and see what more he can write. But the publisher or the the editor Paps says it's uh, not believable. He says basically because there's a black base station captain for the hero, and says no one's going to buy that. So, you know, and this is kind of like... It's a collection of stories. It's not like the headlining article. Can't we just, like, slip it in there? Right, Come right. on. It's not just, like, I mean, it's a, it's a magazine with a whole bunch of different stories in it. Very strange. And the, and the editor says to Benny, make the Captain White, and then we'll publish it. And he says, it's your call. And he's like, but that's not the character I wrote, so... So Benny doesn't want to do that. So, um, next... He uh, goes Benny outside and at- starts riding it on the sidewalk. <laughs> Uh, Benny goes to the restaurant and he's he's telling the story about everything and you know he's um pretty he's upset about this whole situation and this is when the baseball player Hawkins comes in and he grabs him the shoulder and he's totally dressed like Warp Warp in his uh, war, uh Klingon warrior uniform and uh, he's kind of freaked out there for a moment so he's seeing 
visions of other things of the other world and then later that evening he says he sees the preacher again and the preacher tells him to walk with the prophets brother benny and he says write the words that will lead us out of the darkness into the path of righteousness and he sits down and he writes some more and he even forgets that he has a date with his girlfriend cassie that's a 10 o'clock date that's a late date and he he, he uh gets woken up by her at midnight yeah yeah well right. but uh i mean she she's a, a waitress so she runs late hours i'm sure He's oh, a writer. Yeah, he doesn't have to get up early in the morning. <laughs> Writers <laughs> can make their own time. They're taking pictures. He gets to sleep in that day anyway, right? That's right. Yeah. Writers and, and musicians can keep their own hours. They don't need to worry about other people's getting up early. And Lando Calrissians. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. so he, And then he starts flashing back and forth in the living room as him and Cassie starts dancing uh, between Deep Space Nine and his living room. And he's kind of like losing his mind. So there's he's this is getting too much for Benny or slash Cisco. So something's really messing with them right now. So he's he's basically written uh, after we find out later. He's written six, six sequels to the Deep Space Nine story. And editor Pabst is like, like I'm not going to publish this. Why would you do this? You just dug yourself into a deeper hole. Yeah. So, um, and uh, there's like, well, you could publish yourself. And he says, and nobody will read it. And then someone suggests, why don't you just make this, uh, uh, you know, the dream of the captain or the person who wakes up. It's just, uh, you know, it's a poor black person dreaming of the future. And they're like, yeah, that might work. Yeah, maybe it'll work. And so they decide that's how they, he's going to go about it. And he's going to write it that way. And and he's going to get a decent amount of money for it, too. I forgot the exact amount. What was it, like 13 cents? Like, or, I thought it was like yeah, three or four cents a word. Yeah, it was like very little, so. Yeah, it's like, wow. You just can't, it's just unfathomable, like, that that was, like, decent money for like, anything back in the day. And it's only 70 years ago. Right, That's right, insane. exactly. Can't even buy so, gas for cents. So uh, Benny's really excited about this. So he goes to the restaurant and tells Cassie, and they're going to go dancing and everything. So, uh, so from there, they're, um, uh, he runs into the preacher again, and he says, "The path of the prophet sometimes leads to darkness and pain, brain pain." And uh, this is when they're just leaving this uh, uh, dance club, and they hear gunshots in the air. And uh, Benny runs out and sees that it's uh, his uh, his street friend Jimmy, and uh, has been killed by those two police detectives from before. That was uh, giving uh, Benny a hard time when he left the office, and uh, and when Benny starts gets really upset, obviously that Jimmy is killed. The cops just start uh, beating the crap out of him. Yeah. So he's all beat up. And uh, next we get kind of a fast forward. I think it's a few weeks after all, everything happened. And uh, Benny's still beat up and he's walking with a cane. And he, uh, he, uh, he goes to the office because uh, to, to, his story is supposed to be printed. And they're going to get the first um, hard copy of the magazine. And when he gets there, he, they find out that there will be no magazine this month. And the editor says that the owner saw the stories from Incredible Tales, and he pulped the whole thing. And um, he says it uh, it doesn't meet their usually high standards. And then Benny goes, "Tell me what it is." It's it's basically because D Space Nine had a, a black man as as a main character. And he's like, "Yep, that's what it was." Oh, so, and, oh, and BT Dubs, you're fired. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, clear out your desk. Well, and, and and when when uh, what he says, Pap says is, 
it's not about what's right. It's about what is. Yeah, exactly. Right? Which, which was that that in and of itself is such a powerful statement because it's I think status quo. It's status quo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why, why, why should we move past what's already here? You know, it's well, already been established. Or is it? It's not our place to to fight society's wrongs, sort of thing. And I, I mean, I think we have a lot of a lot of a lot of that kind of concept that goes through all of our lives. You know, you see a wrong, you know it's wrong, you know it's not the right thing, but you know you you just can't fight it today. We, we we've got to get you know we got to make coffee and we got to. Well, there's other things here that you have to. There's your work. There's your family. There's yeah, we've got things in your life. Aspects. Which is right. how good people let bad things happen. Right, exactly. And I think it's that one line is so powerful, and it's such a critical line to this entire episode. Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. And uh, and Benny just loses it, you know? and says, As any says, rational person probably would in this moment. Right? I'm like... This is this is like one of the things that's so funny because Avery Brooks, I generally feel like, is like uh, William Shatner, somewhat of a uh, a scenery chewer. As, yeah. an, as an actor, he chews scenery. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the term we you know that, that's used for people who overact a little bit. But in this instance, you he does such a good job that it looks. I mean, you can just see him falling apart you know right. what I mean? and it's just beautiful and terrifying and horrible and it's all of those things all at once just i mean yeah. just imagine if he had to do how many i don't know i didn't, I didn't read the memory off on this i don't know if he had to do multiple takes on this but just imagine how emotionally draining doing this over and over and over till, till you got it the way you wanted it I mean, like, he's the director on this episode. Oh, well, you know, maybe he just didn't want to take. I don't know, but I mean, like, just that. So, I mean, like, <laughs> got just, it, got it. Yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> what I meant to do. Nailed it. Just go now. Well, I don't know. Friend. I mean, like, just just talking with Aaron Gray at their at her panel a couple of years ago, at Nickel City Con. It was just like that. The actors have to go through these scenes, and it's like you know, it can be emotionally draining. And this is one of the most emotional scenes. That's basically just a one man show at this point that I've ever seen probably it's just so it's over the top but it like it fits and it's so heartbreaking yeah just seeing and and Benny screams out Benny screams out and says you cannot destroy idea it's an ancient knowledge you can't destroy an idea that's the future I created it it's real don't you understand it's real I created it and it's real and um yeah, he just he just whether he knows for a fact it's real or if he just you know just feels like this idea could well, be a the reality. Idea is real, yeah, yeah. So, but Benny collapses after that of uh, probably exhaustion. He still is wounded from his uh, altercation with the police, so obviously he's all still beat up. So who knows how how his body physically is holding up? And they take him away in an ambulance, and the preacher's there and. And says uh, he says to him like uh, who am I? And he says you're the dreamer. The preacher says, and the dream. And then Cisco Outside wakes the up. Ambulance, there's stars. Yes, yeah, he's flying by the stars, right? And Cisco wakes up in the infirmary, and Cassidy and Jake and his uh, father's there with um, Doctor Bashir. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And you were there, and you, you were and there. You- and um, he says, you were only conscious for a few minutes. And then he says, his neuropatterns are returning to normal. 
And when his father gets ready to, um, we jump now a little bit later in his uh, Cisco's place, and his father's getting ready to leave, and he's talking, and he he says, "I have to, uh, I'm I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep uh, keep on fighting and keep on making the hard decisions, and uh, you know, uh, keep up the good fight." So, and he stares out the window, and he sees uh, himself as uh, Benny. So, well, what he's saying like to his movie. dad is that, like, what if we're not the real? What if we're not real? What if? We're yeah, what if we're the imagination, imaginary thing? It all became very meta all of a sudden. Yeah, and like this, this was like this episode was like uh, the basis of my theory, uh, where that Discovery is the first time we're actually seeing Star Trek as it is, because Star Trek's always been through the eye of Benny Russell, mm-hmm. uh, a, a semi unreliable narrator, since he's kind of crazy, and that, that's why everything <laughs> has changed uh, in in Disco Enterprise, and, and everything is different in that series because. They're all all the series are linked together except for kind of discovery because it's right, inside right. of everything else, and that was like yeah, going to be a basis yeah. for a theory I had. Was like, right using this episode as a, sp- a springboard. Right. No, that's a good idea. I mean, it's a definitely interesting idea. Um, guys, uh, let's talk with you, Guy Davis. Um, what are your thoughts about this episode? Obviously, this is. I mean, it's nineteen fifty three, but obviously, we're still seeing echoes of this even today. We are. This is definitely one of my favorites of Deep Space Nine, all the way across the board. Um, it encapsulates everything that I can think of that Star Trek does. It talks about something and makes you think. You know, after the episode is over, you're not sure whether Deep Space Nine is the dream of Benny or whether Benny was a hallucination of Cisco. You know, yeah. what I mean? you don't right. know which one's which. And I love that. Um, so as a, from a technical standpoint, this is one of the best of Star Trek all the way across the board, not just because of what it was talking about. Oh, it's a well-written, been, it's a well-written episode. And well-conceived and well-built and um, far better than its pitch <laughs> because the pitch was Jake going back in time and hmm. then finding out that it was really just aliens trying to learn more about humans um, and because so, he didn't really go back in time, um, so I like the I like it a lot better than its pitch. Tying it to Rapture was a good move, um, hmm. and that makes a lot of sense in its own way. So, um, but as far as its statement, Avery Brooks has said has said many times that as much as he loves this episode, it's he doesn't think it was necessarily about racism. Um, it was about racism. He says, well, maybe so, maybe not. But he says that you have a man who's essentially conceiving something beyond what people around him have ever seen or imagined, and therefore they just thought he was crazy. Oh, I see, and, right. And he feels like that's that was the core of the episode. You know, here we have... Benny, who's creating a man, a black man in charge of a space station, and everybody's like, that's ridiculous. Who would do that? That's silly. You know? And instead of... He's he's coming up with a new concept, and there's a wall, and the wall doesn't really exist, but it's there, and it stops them. And, you know, of course, science fiction's all about pushing boundaries, and you know, making you think and things like that. And here is a moment where this character can't can't do that, can't do what science fiction's supposed to do. 
Yeah, right, right. <clears throat> it's so, a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree with that. Um, I don't know how many takes they had on that, but uh, <laughs> on that, that, that one scene. However, Nana Visitor and uh, Jeffrey Combs both say have, have said in the DVD commentary for season six and things like that, they both say that that was absolutely riveting. They could not take their eyes away. It was the most amazing scene to watch that breakdown, to watch, you know, watch Avery Brooks portray that breakdown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't know how many takes it was, but whatever the number of takes, nobody, nobody so much as breathed in that entire shot. You know, it was so stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's uh, Avery Brooks says that this is his favorite episode and I don't blame him. Um, when asked what he thought about this episode or what he could do to make this episode better, he said, make it a two-parter. He wished he could make it a two-parter. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, we get that later on this seasonal or this this construct comes back. So, But but uh, Brooks is in charge of that. So. But it's a great episode. Now, referring to whether what we were doing today, I think more I'm sad that we are seeing the same patterns. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not only was this 1953, but this episode is 25 years old. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I mean, <laughs> you look, yeah. we're talking about 70 years from when this episode was supposed to have taken place. Yes, exactly. But the episode is 25 years old, too. Right, exactly. And we're still seeing these problems and we're still seeing these issues. Maybe some things have changed somewhat and gotten better, but yeah. But we're still seeing it. Yeah. We're still seeing it. And I think that bothers me more than anything. Star Trek has very much always been about the black and white divide. I mean, we I mean we talked about Michelle in in the, in the original series, and we talk about how many times we had to be shocked and stunned because they decided to do something where a black person was doing this or a black person was doing that. And, of course, you know, Star Trek's just doing it because Star Trek does these things, but it becomes a cultural phenomenon when it really right. should be. Right, right. And... And I think that when we talk about Trekkies who get upset about this, like they talk about Discovery being uh, SJW and all of those things, I feel like they're missing the point, <laughs> which is that you know we shouldn't be we shouldn't be aggravated that Star Trek keeps doing it. We should be aggravated that Star Trek has to do it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that they have to even like get to that point where they have to tell these stories or, or, or construct the stories like they are. Right. Or even why what's even a big deal, period. Right. Exactly. It, it shouldn't be, but it is. Um, we still had the same, the same problem in 1953 um, that we have today with, with uh, I mean, when, it, when Benny has the run-in with uh, with the two police officers, you know, it, it, it's it, it's the same result, you know. Same yeah, except the only the only here. thing is he he wasn't <clears throat> he wasn't shot, so right. But no, but his friend but was. was. Yeah, yeah, Jim his friend was. was shot. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. 
and the, you know, I, I mean it, and you know, it's I, I don't know, it, it's we're still running into the same issues, yeah. so I, it's it's tough. This is a tough episode, and I think the thing that hurts me the most about this is that we're still fighting this fight. Yeah, no, for sure. Oh uh, yeah, it, I completely agree. It's nothing we we as a culture haven't learned. What about yeah. you, Dave? I mean, I I agree with Guy. I mean, I mean, just just the beautiful episode of Star Trek. It does all the things that Star Trek is supposed to do and is and is known for doing. Uh, it gets incredibly meta at the end. It makes it makes you stop and think about life and about everything going on in the day back when this was filmed and then even back in the 50s and it's just it's just insane like like i said it's been 25 years since this episode aired where's progress (laughs) exactly uh it's just it's it's uh it's just really sad uh just the progress hasn't come the uh, enlightenment hasn't come uh q should just come and wipe us all out (laughs) I mean, because you know, like you know, Picard's like, oh, we've evolved. We've gotten better. (laughs) Q is, uh, Q is like, we haven't done better. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Uh, How about you, Aaron? Uh, Your thoughts? Um, I know we talked about this, and I think I was on that episode where I mentioned the um uh, the Stanford Prison experiments that happened in 1971. This is a. a famous psychological experiment that was taking place with uh, college students, and um, they had somebody, some people play prison guards, and some people play prisoners, and it was just all decided by a flip of a coin, and they made up a mock prison. And within hours, that uh, the prison, uh, the the guards became completely authoritarian, and uh, started subjecting some prisoners to psychological torture. And uh, some prisoners just accepted the abuse while others try to resist. And it's uh, one of those textbooks, things you learn about, like uh, psychology 101 when you go to college. Um, And then uh, I believe they did the same experiment uh, with the United States Navy and the Marine Corps. And they they filmed things for that. And apparently it's the same the same kind of things were kind of like discovered that the uh, people prison guards start to embrace authoritarian personalities and um and they try to exert control over the prisoners and it just it it, it got ugly basically and i just wonder if that's just how we're hardwired you know or or something about that i don't know what it is about uh humankind that you give them the authority you put the you give them the uniform you give them the badge and maybe you come out with, you start off with the most best intentions, but something about you twists in your brain that you're like, you know, I got to keep these guys under control and I will do anything I can to do it, or I will do anything. And maybe also you get like a piece a PTSD over all the years of serving as a police officer and dealing with those issues. So, so I have yeah. a, a thought about that. Yeah. It's... It's cultural, and I think it's cultural to us. Um, I, I've dealt with a number of police now all over the world, and I've got 
some great friends that are with the DPD. My mom was a probation officer and my sister even was a cop for a while. Mm-hmm. So I've got a lot of insight on, on how the police work. Um, but it's a cultural phenomenon that's somewhat unique to us. Japanese police are totally laid back. They're amazing. Um, they're very funny. Um, extraordinarily polite and uh, even even in situations where life and death is going down and things are getting really scary, they're very efficient, they're very professional, and they will apologize for handcuffing you and putting you in the back of a car. Hmm. Um, you know, have you been arrested in Japan? No, I've never been arrested, but I did. It sounds like you have. He, he, a guy used to hang out with the Yakuza. He got arrested once yeah, or twice. I was, I was you a know. total Yakuza nut. No. Well, um, I mean, they gave him but, all his tattoos. That's where they all come from. That's a, uh, you got that face tattoo, right? Exactly. I tried to make them look, make it look like Chakotay. It didn't work. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm sorry. You showed them a really, really blurry picture. Right? You now it looks like holes. All I had was like a little teeny phone at the time. It was, technology was bad. Now you look, like, you look like Mike Tyson instead. <laughs> but anyways, continue, guy. So, uh, but I... This is a unique thing to our uh, specific situation. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who writes a bunch of very fascinating books. Right. Um, right. In one of the books he writes, it's, it's David and Goliath. Um, he talks about the social contract that we have as a culture. And in a social contract, you have to have trustworthiness. You have to have neutrality. And you have to have modeling. Those are the three functions that must occur to make a social contract between two people. You have to trust that the other person is, you know, trustful, obviously. That makes sense. Um, You have to trust that if judgment is handed down by a society, it's neutral. And you have to, or at least as neutral as you can make it. And you have to model good behavior towards one another. Um, It's it's one of the reasons why you end up with a lot of problems with teenagers, right? Because, you know, they, they don't understand that you're not trying to tell them, you know, do as I say, not as I do. You're trying to make them not fall down the same hole you fell down that made you not become a good person in life or whatever. They don't make your mistakes in the past. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so they're, they're heavily leaning on the modeling. Um, and then they heavily lean on the fair, right? It's not fair. Yeah, you hear that. So neutrality. Um, and if you break the trust between a child and a parent, then the kid runs away. Sure. And that's sort of a function that goes on in society. But the thing that Gladwell had said was that society breaks down at some point if you don't follow that contract, and then you have chaos, or in this case, riots. Uh, and that's, you might get intelligent people who gather together and say, look, we just really want you to get back on the contract and that's okay. And so those are the protesters, but you're always going to have that group of people who are like, well, you know what? You broke the contract. We're done, you know, and they'll go out there and they riot. And that's, that's happened so many times. You look at the French revolution, you look at, you know, the, the Bolshevik revolution. We've had this every time with our culture it happens over and over and over. Um, and it's, it's a break of that contract. Somewhere along the line, 
I think we had, we look at the, the cops that did exist in 1953, those cops broke the contract. And I think that what's happened is we either have a back and forth ping pong going where they perceive that one side breaks the contract, that side perceives the other side breaks the contract back and forth and back and forth. But the social contract is broken between these two people in our, these two groups. And it's the same thing with prisoners and police officers. The, the mm. contract is broken. Um, and it stays broken and it doesn't ever get repaired. And that contract never gets repaired. And it's okay because one side has the threat of life and death over you. And that's what Gladwell says. If you break the social contract, the only way to bring order is through fear and domination. And that's the key, right? right. You can bring order back in, but if you don't want to fix the contract, then the right. only way you can do it is to scare the bejeebers out of everybody. Well, and as Martin Luther King says, you know, uh, right is language of the unheard. Yep. So, and then, but what uh, the retort by uh, Stokey Carmichael said that, um, the problem with that, he says, the major assumption of a nonviolent um, protest is in order for nonviolence to work, your opponent must have a conscience. Right. And if your opponent, and, and then he stated that um, the United States does not have a conscience. That was his uh, final idea. So, especially during that time in the 1960, you know, five or whenever the, exactly that was stated. So, you know, that's the issue I think we're coming up against. And um, I find the resistance I see is that people are like, well, we've had Barack Obama as a president. You know, we've got, you know, like Buffalo, New York has a black mayor. Uh, you know, we have black, um, you know, police chiefs and <laughs> things like that. And as, um, you know, Cornell West will say, just because you have black faces in high places doesn't mean there isn't systemic issues of racism or, um, uh, you know, uh, with, within the institutions below those people. Sure. So that's what we're seeing often. I think that all of those things still fit Gladwell's contract. Right. I, I feel like we are finding right now in society all the way across the board that we have a lot of people and a lot of different, it's not just, Black Lives Matter versus cops. I'm seeing this in a, a lot of different strata where we feel like the contract's being broken. Um, I'm seeing this with uh, the, the liberals versus Trump. Um, I happen to be in the liberal camp, and so I feel like Trump has violated the social contract. Um, same thing. You know, it's the same thing. I, why, why should I do what he wants me to do? I feel like he hasn't followed the social contract. Yeah. Um, and I feel like even when you look at the, the political right, they're seeing a violation of the social contract in a number of areas too. And I think that they're finding it to the point where they feel like they need to get armed and be prepared to get into a civil war almost because they feel like the social contract is so broken. Um, and this, this is answering a lot of, like, why is it friends that I know and love and, and are very beloved to me are conservative and believe all of these things that I don't believe in, which seems so obvious and straightforward. Um, 
And it, it explains a lot of things if we think that the social contract's broken. Well, and, and you know, General Mattis, who was the Secretary of Defense of uh, Trump and, right. um, you know, a general of the Marines, um, just recently came out. His quote was, Donald Trump is the first president in my lifetime who does not try to unite the American people. He doesn't even pretend to try. Instead, he tries to divide us. Yeah. And says, we are witnessing uh, uh, consequences of three years of this deliberate effort. We are witnessing the consequences of three years of without mature leadership. We can unite without him and draw on the strength and uh, inherit in our uh, civil society. And, and he goes on saying basically that um, the American ethos was unity and then um, – and he was saying that when the Nazis, when we fought against World War II and the Normandy invasion, the Nazi slogan was divide and conquer. Yeah. And, uh, and the American uh, answer was there is union, uh, in, in union, there's strength. So, yeah. and that's really what it comes down to. If we're going to continue to play politics, and, and, you know, like as you're saying before, Guy, with, you know, yes, I have friends that are conservative and I have friends that are, uh, you know, are Trump supporters. And, you know, a lot of that doesn't bother me because I know we're always going to disagree on certain sure. things. Um, and I can get, um, like I can have a debate with a friend about, you know, tax rates, about, um, foreign policies, and we might not disagree, you know, yeah, but but when we're talking about the idea that you know that police brutality doesn't exist, or that you know uh, you know black people um, or any people of, of brown color are are not being mistreated in this nation, then I'm sorry we can't have that conversation anymore because it I just don't understand what world what what radio station you're tuned into, what TV station you're tuned into that you can't see that these things actually happen. Because if you speak with a friend, a coworker, somebody who is an equal, not somebody that you're a boss over or you can report and make their life a living hell, somebody can have an open conversation with, like, you know, who, who's a person of color and say, you know, how, how do you feel when a police officer pulls you over, how do you feel when you're, uh, you know, you have to interact with the police? Do you get nervous? Do you scared? And a lot of them say, yeah, I do get scared. And I have to have talk with my children saying, if you ever get pulled over, you know, you have to be absolutely uh, respectful and hope that nothing happens. Cause we even see, we've seen video after video of some people that are literally just taking their wallet out to sh- give them their license and the cop on un- it, you know, empties their clip into them. So, I mean, I mean, we can't have that. If we can't even agree on those things, that's when I start like saying, well, there's no conversation to be had anymore. Right. Well, and, 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 and that's a, that's a rule of escalation. I think yeah. um, for me, I feel like, um, I feel like we're in a new era of racism. I feel like this isn't Jim Crow. I mean, like, I, I feel like, so I'm a Southerner. I come from the South. I've seen Jim Crow racism up close and personal, right? I've seen people say, not, you know, it's funny how TV portrays racism. That's one of the reasons why I love Far Beyond the Stars. That's real Jim Crow racism. Like, you know, when we, when we see racism on, on, 
on, on TV and things like that. It's, we can't let him in here. He's black. That's not the way it worked. That's never the way it worked. It's right. the old guy who has the black person that's sitting across from him. And he's just saying, you know, tell my Negro that he can't do that. You know what I mean? And that's what you get. This uncomfortable, creepy stuff. Uh, I remember I was probably four, maybe five, but it affected me greatly. There was an old man and we were in, I want to say Huntsville, Huntsville, Texas, which is not Huntsville, Alabama. We were in Huntsville and I was with my grandpa. And that was what happened. He had this black, it was this old guy. He was very old. So this would have been mid to late 70s, right? Mm -hmm. And so this this old guy was probably born right around the turn of the century, 1900. Right. And this old black guy, and he just kept giving the black guy orders. And the black guy just said, yes, sir. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't a matter of, it was, it wasn't like he was bought. He wasn't purchased. He wasn't a slave. He just had nothing. And you could see it in his eyes. I was like five and I could see it in his eyes. The, the guy's, the guy's life was gone. It had right. just, it was gone. And it right. was so devastating to me that I still remember now 40 years later, I still remember the look in that guy's eyes. Yeah, he's just he he's just he's just taking orders. He's not even a person anymore because he's kind of right. shut that he shut that part of his brain completely off. Right. And that's Jim Crow racism. That's the racism of that's the stuff that's that's the stuff that hurts. That's the stuff that makes you mad. That makes I feel like what we are suffering from now is a different problem. Like yeah. nobody here looks at a black man and says, he's not equal to me. I mean, we've got sure. I'm sure we've got a small squadron of a group of people like that. I'm, I'm positive of it, but I don't hear that tone. I don't hear that sense what I hear is black people are scary. That's what I hear. Yeah. I hear I hear the division that came from the same kind of stuff that I hear from Hitler. Um, whenever I hear Hitler talking about Jews, right. making them into the enemy. Right. Somebody is making black people into the enemy. They are terrifying. They are scary. They are... It, Around the turn of the, of the 1900s, we we had a. Anybody familiar with black blockbustering and redlining? Yeah, exactly. Redlining. That's, that's yep. where you uh, take a neighborhood and you say this neighborhood's black and this neighborhood's white, yeah. and uh, real estate agents won't sell you a house if you're black in the white. Banks won't won't give you loans. Yeah, banks yeah. won't give you a loan. Uh, well, what they what they did with with that um, one of the things they did was raise the prices of black housing to the point where it required five or six families to live in one house. Um, and you have to have a home, so there was no choice. There was no way for them to capitalistically vote for their dollar. 
So they just accepted the fact that there were five or six families in the house. Around the turn of the century, that meant that you had 20 people, 25 people in a house with maybe one bathroom uh, and possibly two sinks if you were lucky. So Mm -hmm. um, we got the reputation that black people were dirty. Um, It didn't help that, you know, you look at a black person's hands and their, their palms are a different color than the backs of their hands. So that there was a visual cue to it. Um, And and black people became dirty and in our culture, they were, they were smelly. They were, you know, and it, it helped that was part of that pre Jim Crow racism that was built in, but it echoes in society. They're, different they're scary they're terrifying they're, you know there's all of this stuff right we've built that we built up all these um i don't know what you want to call it, but mythologies uh, yeah, around them that's yeah. a good word it's like a mythology um and i think what's happening is you know in the 50s the cops were jim crow racists black people were just trouble that's just the way it is we all know that you know that everybody knows that yes i know that sir they were Jim Crow racists, totally straight up. The black people were always responsible for the problems. Then as time evolved, though, the civil rights movement has been having an effect. People are starting to get wise to the fact that, they're, that black people aren't dirty, that, that they're not always the ones who are causing the trouble, yada, yada, yada. But somewhere we have this fear that black people are terrifying. And I think that part of it has to do with posturing. When you're terrified, you posture. And the police terrified the black people, the black people are posturing. That makes logical sense. It's totally human. It's a thing we do as humans. It is what we do as humans, but I mean, it's also, I mean, if you think of... I I want to be very clear here. I am not laying any blame on on the feet feet of black people. Right. Um, it, I mean, that's, I've got to be very careful how I word this. But let's, let's let's think about it. I mean, since since the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation and all those things that happened to to help slowly get, uh, you know, African slaves, uh, you know, to be free in America, it's been a long, long journey for them from just having freedom to you know just regular human rights you know to being able to vote to be able to take a job get a job and you know all those things that we've seen slowly change not have to use different bathrooms not use different bathrooms i mean all sorts of things and and like you're saying redlining of neighborhoods and stuff like that all these things have that's only been uh, 200 some years yeah and that's only 200 years old yeah, I mean, I mean, okay, maybe, yeah, but it's 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 a blip on the radar of human uh, cultural uh, change, right? I mean, we are still dealing. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we are all still dealing with. Uh, let's just even talk about um, the uh, fallout of World War II. We still talk about that. We still talk about the Holocaust. The Holocaust. Mm. We still talk about what's happened and 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 the fallout of everything that happened just because of that. And that was only a span of what a few years yeah. of utter chaos and destruction. Yeah. yeah. So you're taking a group of people who are very easily to identify in a crowd because right. you can see them clearly. You, just, clearly. you clearly see that this person's different than the person standing next to them. So it's just easy. And 
And then, you know, you have some people who have decided that, you know, for one reason or other, that they've made hate groups just on not just not just blacks, but, you know, people uh, who are of any kind of, you know, uh, background that's not uh, Caucasian. If that's Asian, if that's, you know, um, you know, Hispanic, if it's Jewish or anything. So um, and that's another issue we're seeing, too. So, you know. Um, today I went to a, uh, a march here in Buffalo and I, and we marched from city hall three miles down a very, very, uh, busy, prominent street here in Buffalo, Elmwood. And, uh, it was a wonderful, peaceful march. I mean, I arrested. We I were didn't get arrested. to get on this show and just we sit were, there and make fun of you for getting arrested. We were, we were ready for it. We were prepped. We were pulling on you for seducing the uh, the warden no, to, the, the to get warden. on the show. Yeah, to get to, to make your three hour phone call. To I know, warden. If uh, I can chew the podcast tonight, I'll <laughs> yeah. give you a little hanky panky. So, uh, no, but it was a wonderful experience and. Um, you know, there was people of all different colors. I mean, there was blacks and whites and Asians, Hispanics. I mean, anything you can think of, you know, uh, Native uh, Americans. I, I mean, everyone you can think of that was there. And um, it was wonderful. And ev- it was peaceful. There was nothing, there was no violence to it. And people are complaining about that these, uh, you know, protests have all been violent. And I agree, there are some, some of them turned into riots and, uh, there's a lot of anger there, and yeah. I don't I don't know um, what the answer that, to that is. That's that's the social contracts broken. Yeah, and right? I don't know what and the answer the is. Contract. But we've also seen within there, you know, I mean, uh, the Trump administration is saying that it's Antifa that's doing that, but there's also been the Boogaloo Boys. There's been multiple arrests and people saying that these ultra white right wing. Uh, conservatives uh, that are like nationalists, white nationalists, are trying to incite things within um, these um, these protests, turning them into riots. So um, we don't know the actors because I think what people are realizing, whether it is Antifa, whether it's right uh, uh, right wing nationalists, we don't know who is coming into these crowds and starting to um, manipulate things, either. Well- Start starting violence or getting people, you know, all worked up or what? So we don't know. Well, and there, there is, there is what, what uh, I love Malcolm Gladwell. By the way, I know you guys are shocked to find this out, but I absolutely adore Malcolm Gladwell. Um, he has what we call the storyteller problem. Humans are great storytellers. We love to tell stories, and he says the problem is sometimes the patterns that we look for aren't patterns at all. We just have to put patterns together. Yeah. Um, so it may simply be that there is, um, I mean, you know, he, he talks about the social contract being broken. It just may be that there are people who are just simply fed up. And those are the ones who are writing. And yeah, okay, maybe that's not the world's best way to handle it. But I mean, I got to say, I have handled things really poorly in my life. I've made bad decisions. We all do. It's human nature, yeah. right? right. Um, I mean, so it's like, yeah, uh, at least at least my bad decisions 
were stupid, this is at least a reasonable reason to have a bad decision. Yeah, and let me tell you this: that uh, you know, like you know, I, I've watched the video of George Floyd being uh, murdered by that police officer, and it's just gut wrenching. It's awful to watch. And if that was uh, my family member, you know, my brother, my son. Uh, if that was one of my friends, I have, I have, I'm telling you, I have some of my friends, my black friends that are just mm-hmm. amazing artists, mm-hmm. amazing writers. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but, um, I, but I, I'm trying to mute my microphone. It's my reminder to tell my kid to go get in the shower. <laughs> get in the shower. <laughs> Get in the shower, but I have I have these friends that are that I would be just as furious, and I don't know what I would do if that was like I said a family member, if it was somebody I, a a dear friend that I knew. I, I don't know if I could be held responsible to how my actions would be. Right, and then and then now take that and compound that if that was you know two hundred, five hundred years of mistreatment generations after generations after generations right and look i don't think every every police officer is bad by any stretch of the imagination i just think what we have is some people who have uh, either ptsd some people are probably are just raging racist that which is possible um i think some people have anger issues or, or, or all sorts of issues that they're they're grappling with and that's a huge issue. Another problem with the police officers is, you know, a lot of them don't live in the neighborhoods anymore. They move out. They're not, they, they can, there's no law to say you have to live in that neighborhood. And if you're not in that neighborhood and in that community, maybe you don't know what's afflicting it. And I don't, I don't want to naysay that. Um, but I have been in close contact with a DPD officer, Denver police officer. Um, and he's pretty upset right now. Because, of course, a lot of, you know, he, he's desk-bound at this moment. That just happens to be where he is. That's not, there wasn't anything. He didn't do anything. He just happens to be right now sitting at a, his station is at a precinct desk. And he's like, every night I'm hearing officer down, officer down, officer down. Yeah. And he's like, this is getting, this is, this is really rough for me. Yeah. Um, somebody is taking out cops. In right. this. So uh, I, I feel like, like I said before, I said you get posturing, and the posturing is threatening, and then the other side postures, and that's threatening, and then the other side postures back, and that's threatening. And it, it only escalates. It only escalates to a point where it is all out warfare. It's a war. And, and, I mean, anybody who's learned Sun Tzu. Um, or any of the, the, the writings of Miyamoto, Miyamoto Musashi, um, we've known for thousands of years about the fact that escalating stress between two sides just needs one match to start the fire. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a tactics thing. Um, I, I don't know. When I talk to this particular friend of mine, he, he says, you know, we go through so many psychological evaluations all the time. And he says, so it's really hard for me to believe that just 15% of us is all, are all, you know, raging maniacs with yeah. gun problems. 
because every one of us has to go through psych testing all the time. They, they yeah. weed those people out. And I don't, so I'm looking at this and saying, I'm thinking this is more what you were talking about earlier when you were talking about the Stanford study. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a bouncing back and forth of fear here. The fear is rising and people are becoming unreasonable. I think about the, uh, you remember like three years ago, four years ago, there was an, uh, an autistic kid who was sitting in the street and he had uh, a truck and he was surrounded by like 12 cops. And I don't remember this. I don't remember this. Yeah. And his social worker went out there, laid on his back, put his hands above his head and said, the kid is unarmed. It was trying to get the kid to put down the truck. Okay. And then somebody shot him. Jesus. One of the cops shot the social worker. Jesus. Right. And, and the social worker, we have it on video. He's lying on his back with his hands in the air saying, don't shoot me. I'm unarmed. He's unarmed. I'm a social worker. I have a PhD. <laughs> He's like, what, yeah. Like what? And, I mean, it, it, and it, later it, when they asked the cop, why did you shoot him? The cop said, I really don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I saw the video. The guy was seriously somewhat perplexed and confused. Yeah. Why did he shoot him? He didn't know. I mean, obviously they drummed him out. They fired him. They, you know, all that stuff. Yada, yada, yada. And, and the poor social worker lived through the whole thing. He's fine. Um, and actually, he, he has kind of a decent sense of humor about it. I got to give the guy props. Yeah. But there, that's not the reaction of Jim Crow racists. You know what I mean? That's not the reaction of somebody who's like, oh, all black people are evil. That's the reaction of someone who's terrified, who's well, scared, yeah, fundamentally. And, yeah, and and on top of that, too, is just, you know, like here in Buffalo, I don't know if you saw this guy, but there was an older gentleman, 75, that was part of the Black Lives Matter uh, protest. Right. And they came to clear out down. the area. And they just pushed this guy. And That's he, national news. Yeah, he fell down. National news, check yeah. It. Yeah, he he Great. fell down and he's bleeding out his ears. You know, it's like he he they and look. I mean, there are some people are uh, with conjecture saying this guy, which he is. He's apparently he's suffering from cancer and he has been uh, a lifelong, you know, activist protesting all sorts of things. And some people are saying, well, he's just a troublemaker. Period. But. Regardless, you literally have a military force in front of you, and you're shoving an old man. And I, I to me, well, it's just and that's it's, where the, that's where the logic breaks down for me, right? Because it's the same idea shooting the the uh, the social worker and and the autistic kid is like. I think we've gotten to a point where we're the, some of our police officers are so hyper militarized. Uh, to uh, this machine of let's take them out. You know, it's not like, hey, old man, step aside. Uh, a friend of mine is uh, a former Marine, mm-hmm. and he posted a post from another Marine who had said, when, you know, it has a picture of this Marine with some kid in an Arab nation somewhere. I don't know where, but he's got him 
tight on, so he's got he's got his hands secured. And the, the Marine's got his hand up through his arms, and he's holding his neck down, and he's walking him to the prison. Right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, we were literally in a war zone. We were mm-hmm. literally being shot at. These people really did want to kill us. Right. And we still had rules that we could not engage them. We had to subdue them and put them in a prison cell. And I realized at that point in time that it's about who is your threat? Yeah. And the U.S. military is not threatened by a bunch of Arabs. I mean, yeah, IEDs blow up and they, they take out cars and people are killed. But a soldier knows that that's what a soldier does. And death may Well, it's got to be scary. It's terrifying. But you know that you're there for that. That's your job. And it's one of those things where, in that instance, these aren't your enemies per se. They're not the ones that you've grown up saying that they were enemies. Mm-hmm. These are people you got to deal with. It's like going to work. You know, I'm not terrified of my boss. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a different mentality. And I actually, I know a, I know a number of soldiers, too. So it's like a different mentality. They've got, um, my, my bestie was talking about this at one point in time where uh, he was doing something. Um, he, he's, he's been in the Army for 25 years. And uh, he was up on, the, uh, up on the roof in Iraq. And they were, he was not up on the roof. It was an orphanage. He was trying to fix the doors in the orphanage because he's with the Corps of Engineers. And, um, it, and these guys came over and started shooting at the orphanage because the military was there. Jesus. And, and he was like, I was so aggravated because I needed my carpenters, but they were my best snipers. So I had to put them on the roof. Jesus. And the way he said that was so nonchalant. Right. It was like, I couldn't use my carpenters because they were on the roof shooting. Right, right. And it was so nonchalant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it's the same thing. My sister was in the army for a while and she was over in Kosovo and Bosnia and that, it, that, that mess. Yeah. Um, and she was doing the same thing. It was like, I had to, I had gate, you know, gate guard duty and this M1A1 tank pulled up next to me and just started tracking something. And it was so loud and it was just so irritating. And I'm like, it was tracking an incoming missile that was trying to take out your base, you know, right? because right, we were yeah. watching on CNN at that time. And she Jesus. didn't, know. You're right. she, I mean, she knew because it's obvious if the M1A1 is tracking something, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not just sitting there moving its turret back and forth because of funsies. Always right. there's right. a nonchalance about this, right? There's a nonchalance about this. Yeah. Their lives are in danger. Yeah. They're threatened, but there's a nonchalance. When, when you talk to a lot of these police officers, they're stressed out. They're very stressed out. This is terrifying. They're going to war in a much more, their, their demeanor is different. They're, they're terrified. Um, and it's the same thing when I talk to my friends who are people of color. They're angry. They're terrified. They're scared. This is a level up. There's something going on between these two cultures, these two specific cultures Mm -hmm. that makes them ramp up 
to like 15 on a scale of 1 to 10. And that means that they're a tinderbox all the time. They're always a tinderbox. And I don't know how to de-escalate it, but it needs to de-escalate. And I think one of the things that's happening that helps is restoring the social contract when the police go out there and march with them. Yeah, and that's that's, that's one way to do it. That's and we saw that. I don't know what was the city that that one uh, was it the sheriff that went yeah. out and marched with. The, I don't it remember. Was our city. sheriff? Was it, it was Denver? It was our chief of police. Oh, okay. Yeah, or yeah. Chief, I, Denver police. Denver police went out and marched with the people. That's wonderful, and uh, we you know the more we see that it helps. Um, it doesn't solve all the problems. No, and I think. And I think what what is very important to start doing is, I mean, there's there's a lot of points that hit on this, but obviously, poverty is a huge issue, and uh, you know, as as long as you know anybody, uh, any black neighborhoods are kept in poverty and walled off into a uh, basically a, an area where, yeah, you, you're you're making this into a place that's a militarized zone, right? you're getting into that Stanford experiment again, prison experiment, you know, it's like the guard and the, and the prisoners. Well, the th- oh, sorry, David. The last time we talked about this ages and ages ago with the Stanford prison experiment, I, I was looking into it and watching some documentaries on it. And some people were saying that, uh, some of the people playing the guards were kind of like prodded into by the people running it, that you should be more brutal. Uh, you're not doing, you're not doing, you're not doing it right. And so like they had these expectations that and that happens with police officers too, obviously, that, because that you have that were not met, and you have these ultra aggressive men that are like, I, you know, let's we let's show them who's boss, and some guys are just yeah. like, no, let's let's just be good police officers and protect people. But I know? mean, it's, right. it's it's a problem that's above the police officers because, for starters, in general, police are relatively understaffed, and probably most sure. cities. Then you've got right. the DA who set the and, and the lawmakers who set different crimes and then there's also crimes that are disproportionate you know african americans get more time like that that's that's not something the place like marijuana or anything well anything they get they get higher things so i mean it's a systemic problem in all levels of society it's not just police oh absolutely matter it's like it's job places it's can people get jobs once they've been kicked out of a prison i mean like i've never had any uh issues with the law where i have like any kind of record and it's still next to impossible to get a job it feels monumentally difficult to get a job and it's literally impossible if you have any kind of record to get any kind of job that's not like mcdonald's and And then you walk in and then you walk in yeah and then you walk into a uh you walk into an interview and not only you know maybe you did something really stupid like maybe just got in a fist fight and the police were called and there's a report so, I mean, you didn't do you didn't do any time. Maybe you spent a night in prison just for a for a night because you got in a fist fight. Okay, right. right. And then so all and then on top of but then on top of that, you happen to be black. Well, right. guess what? They're probably gonna gay. Yeah, okay. Next candidate because you know. But then you get some young kid uh, who maybe can afford a lawyer and can get those records expunged. Um. You know who who's got uh, who's got money to do it. You know that that person could get hired. I'm not saying that's the case on every issue, but I mean, no, it's not. But look at look at when we talk about Gladwell's three rules for society. Right? We needed trustworthiness. We need neutrality, and we need modeling. 
if you look at that and what you all have been talking about, both of you have been talking about the neutrality part, right? And neutrality isn't in any level of our system. And I totally agree with you, Guy, that it's, it's a breaking down of the social contract. And it's broken down on almost every single level. And it needs right. to be corrected at every single level. Correcting it at one level is not going to do a damn thing. Right. Exactly. I mean, because part of this is like, I've seen this before and it's absolutely true. Brock Turner raped a woman and he got six months. Yeah. If George Floyd just tried to, even if you think that he was guilty, he just tried to pass a counterfeit 20 and he lost his life. Right. Right. I mean, that's not neutral that's not neutral at all people and people with more money can get away with murder because they can hire right. better uh lawyers like look at the jinx documentary the guy hired two lawyers and got away with murder and dismemberment i mean right. granted he only charged him for dismemberment but he got away with the murder part because he had two really expensive lawyers i mean like there is no uh equality in justice our uh, justice is, the system isn't blind like it's supposed to be I mean, the reason why Madam Justice has a blindfold is because she's supposed to be equal. And it's the expectation. It's part of our social contract. It's part of what what makes us a society is that the expectation that if I were to try my, you know, uh, one of my, uh, you know, some a, a black guy, just a random black guy for X, Y, or Z, that... I would be tried for the same thing and get the same punishment for X, Y, and Z. And that's not happening. And so the contract's broken. Yeah. They, they, it, can't, trust the, they can't trust the authorities. Right. They, they feel like that there's no equality. And when they're modeled, it's not, it doesn't come out the same, right? I mean, like, you know, the, that one guy who just got uh, thrown in prison for kicking a tear gas grenade back at the cops he got he got he got arrested for assault with a deadly weapon right yeah well that's not modeling yeah i mean that's not modeling (laughs) i know and 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 that's the issue is that you know we we, everything is kind of like you know some is it someplace in texas where you can't uh video or you can't videotape a police officer anymore you know, yep. just stuff like that where it's like, well, now we're just like, you're just covering your ass because you don't want to get in trouble for anything you might do. You know, like, right. what's well, the point of that? And I hear the dialogue a lot from my 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 friends in blue that the media distorts everything. And, and, they do, oh, and that, is, that, is, that is very true, yeah. I, I'm not going to disagree with that, but they find the media to be their their true and 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 holy villain because the media will take those videos and only cut to the part where you know the the, the guy the worst thing the guy threw five punches at the cop the cop throws one punch and that's the video you see is the cop right. throwing one punch right exactly. right and that's the so the argument from the side of the blue makes some logical sense even though i don't agree with it i can at least see it um oh, to I- them these these video videotaping cops just incriminates them. Well, yeah, and I can, I can understand. And I, I I think what it, the only issue is is it, which is fine, you know, because that is very true, and we only see clips. And I saw a clip today uh, on on Twitter about some guy 
pointing the cops saying, why are you piling these rocks where this parade or not parade, this um, protest is going to happen? Why are you piling them out right by the street? Why are you doing that? And I don't know what the context are. They were saying that somebody else is going to come pick that stuff up. But why were the cops picking up the rocks and putting them in a pile? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there, maybe somebody was going to come pick those rocks up, or maybe there's something more to it. I don't, you know, like I don't have the answers. I'm only seeing a clip, right? And we I'm don't just know like, about what happened? Yeah, and I'm just like, I, I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, I get it. Like, maybe the cops are trying to get, you know, uh, these protesters to pick up the rocks and start throwing things so they can start bashing heads and say, "See, these protesters are just a bunch of animals," you know? right? And so. Who but knows? Being storytellers. Right. And Who knows? Humans are into storytelling. So I, I guess my point is, is that we're always going to have these issues where um, you need you need the police officers to obviously, you know, be that shield against, you know, people who are going to do terrible things. Right. Um, and that's what they're there for. That's why we pay them. That's why we paid taxes for the police officers to do their things but um and the media unfortunately has been hyperized in the last 20 some years i mean it's always been hyperized but now it's even crazier with cable news when you ever, have ever since 9-11 and columbine it's just exponentially gotten worse it's gotten crazier and crazier you know and, 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 have laws against that Did you know that what do you mean we used to have um, a law that the news agencies had to cover the story fairly. Yeah, there used to be equal coverage, and then they took that away. You know who took that away? Who? Ronald Reagan. Yeah, well, Reagan's done a lot of things in the past that, um, this, unfortunately... This is where I'm going to sit here and be totally lefty. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, no, I know. Reagan did a lot of stuff that, that dismantled some things, so... Yeah, and, I mean, and, but we, it's funny and ironic that the Republicans and conservatives are now whining about hyperpolarization of the news, and we had a law that prevented them from being polarized. Right. And it was removed by the one who's their sweetheart. It's re- It was removed because the news agencies kept whining and complaining that they couldn't make enough money off of polarizing the people. Read my right. nips. No, no taxes. <laughs> that, that was Bush. Um, my bad. <laughs> But I mean, but I mean, on the flip side too, I've had friends being like, "Well, if uh, these protesters went out and uh, you know, the, especially these these uh, black protesters went out and they um, exercised their Second Amendment right by protesting with their weapons, then police wouldn't do these things." I'm like, I don't know if that's gonna work. Because- no, because the truth of the matter is, they're terrified of these protesters. So no, that's just going to be shoot- shooting war. Because that, that's, that's because that happened in the 1960s, because uh, Reagan uh, was governor, and uh, he he was governor at the time, and this is 1967, and the Black Panthers came up to the uh, California state capitol armed, well yeah. armed, bearing arms, and they passed in 1967 the Mumford Act, basically making it illegal to. Uh, for them to be carrying weapons like that, to yep. so and that is that is uh, then governor, but soon to be president Ronald Reagan. So um, here, here you have this uh, the idea that you know guns being the solution is going to save. Yeah, maybe it's a deterrent for sure, but I yeah. think if you show up with that, um, people are going to um, 
you're going to start getting shot at. I agree. Um, and and if things are as volatile as they are in the last couple weeks, and you hit, and then you armed these protesters, I think it would even be worse. I agree. I agree. Um, well, you would, you it, people need to have much level of heads when they're when they have uh, AR-15s or whatever they might be carrying. So, um, I, you know, hey, I don't know what the solution to all these things are. Um, <laughs> we're, I, just, we're just a bunch of Trekkies on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> but, Star Trek but, is the answer. Star Trek's the Star answer. Trek, they, you know what they all need to do? They, everybody just needs to sit down and watch Star Trek. That's just the answer. Right there. Well, that, some, is, that, some is, really, that is... Some really good episodes, like past tense. It's like, oh, why are we doing with this thing, this stuff again? Right. And yeah. it, the, th- the issue is is I, I, I think that people start need... I think people start needing to have uh, open conversations and without getting yourself in, your hackles up, just start talking to people on the other side of whatever you're feeling. So yeah. if it's if it's if it's a liberal that you need to talk to or conservative, you need to talk to them. If it's a if it's a black person or a white person or somebody else, I think you just need to sit down and talk to them. Absolutely. Because because if you some of us need to learn what our constitution really says. I just had an interesting discussion today about first amendment. Yeah. Um, well. Because of course I think people are confused as what the first amendment does. So I always get like fascinated by that, right? You know, what's yeah. the amendment really for? You know, why do we? I mean, why is it people are harping on the first and the second, but nobody talks about the third, and nobody even knows what the third is? Isn't that but, uh, the uh, religious freedom? No, third amendment means you don't have to, you have no or the the, the soldier soldiers cannot oh, no quarter require that you you house them. Yeah, no quarter. Yeah, and it's they, because they, no the quarter. first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth amendments to the Constitution were all responses to what King George was doing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so King George was putting soldiers, using the soldiers as a police force. Mm-hmm. And so um, we had a, a, a division in our, in our, uh, in our uh, Congress, which was led by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, ironically, of different parties back in the days when our different parties actually agreed with each other. Mm-hmm. And they were on one side, and George Washington and the Secretary of War was on the other about a standing army. And all of that stuff is, like, in the Federalist Papers. And people yeah. don't read these things. They don't read the Federalist Papers. They don't read but the people have people have People have different interpretations of all those things, the Federalist Papers. It's very versus. clear. About what no, they, I'm not saying all of them. Some, but some, they have different ways of looking at them. Yeah, and I, I get I get intrigued by what people think we were designed to do. But the truth is, the founding fathers were very straightforward about the concept that we should maintain the social contract. It was very big, and that's the thing that gets me is. They're so big about fear that people aren't talking about the contract. You know, um, when when you talk about all of our amendments to the Constitution, it's all about maintaining a good model society for modeling, maintaining fairness. You have the right to a fair and just and speedy trial. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's because George King George was big on 
just locking you in London Tower for you stayed there forever. Yeah, for sixty years, and then you die there, and it wouldn't matter. We didn't have to try you then, right? And it's because you have to believe that we are trustworthy and equal, neutral. That we, and that's why you have a right to a trial of your peers. The Miranda rights reinforce that belief that you have to be neutral. You have a right to remain silent by your Fifth Amendment rights. You can't incriminate yourself. And you have a right to an attorney because otherwise you can't fight the fight. You have a right to, to a jury of your peers so that it's as neutral as we can make it, right? Because you don't want – that's why we have warrants. You know, warrants are there because otherwise – a police officer can say, David, I think you're a, a, a horrible human being. I'm going to search your house now. Oh, I got that, ha- I got that happen to my car once. I know that happens all the time. But, um, and that's just me. I mean, I, I'm the one searching your house. I'm sorry, David. I, I um, um, but, I mean, you know, you could have And then you get into the Fourth Amendment or unlawful search and seizures. Unlawful search and seizure. But that's, all, that's what that's all about, right, is you have a right to have somebody else come to that police officer and say, now, wait a minute, why, why do you want to search David's house? Right. Right? And then the police officer has to justify it. He yeah. has to justify it. And if it turns out that all the warrants that we ever get from Judge, you know, Judge Smith over here, he issues all the warrants only for black people, then you violated the trust and neutrality. Yeah. You know, and that's part of the reason why we have all these rules. Someone in our founding fathers understood and has understood over the time that this is part of the social contract. And what needs to happen is we need to start showing neutrality. You know, you need to start illustrating that we're neutral. Yeah, well, and that's the issue is that if, if, the, if the laws are not upheld, that social contract – if, if the laws aren't upheld or if, if no one believes laws, it's like currency. If, if, if the money, if people don't believe a dollar bill is worth a dollar bill, it's just a piece of paper. Right. You know, and same idea if, if the law doesn't mean anything, if you just say the words, but they don't mean anything, well, then people don't believe it anymore. Well, so we need to make, I mean, this is the law of the land. It's supposed to be the idea that no one is above the law and that people can somehow come to that agreement of what the law is, that it's fair and it's working for everybody's benefit. It's why our constitution became the model for many other constitutions out there. Yeah. Well, guys... For um, more in-depth things on how law is kind of scary and not what you think it is, check out (laughs) Serial Seasons 1 and Season 3. It's a podcast. I mean, if you want to see social injustice and the system failing on pretty much every single level... Listen to Serial Season 1 about Adnan Syed and Season 3 about just some random city in Ohio and just how messed up like the court system is. Uh, it, it was it was meant to be a general um, middle of America, not a, any giant city on one coast or another, just typical what you'd see in a generic American city. So they went to Ohio, and it's just scary um, yeah. how much our justice system is failing at justice so well, sure. and that, not that serial needs lots of plugs because they're one of the biggest yeah, podcasts it's a, it's a, around but in case you haven't heard right they are amazing lessons yeah they are um guys um 
is thanks for talking about this. And and if you have hung on to this amount of this time, entire time, um, so I sorry. applaud you. And I God um, bless you, everyone. We know that this is a this is a you know a hot topic and 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 uh, maybe a third rail for some people, um, but we felt that this was important to talk about, especially at this time. Um, here at um, you know Synthaholics, we want equality for all, and we don't want to see anybody um, you know oppressed or you know killed or anything for just. For, for no apparent reason other than they have more uh, melatonin in their skin than the person okay. next to them. Um, so anyways, Guy, um, let our audience know where they can contact you and where they can find your artwork. I, I didn't even get a chance to get into that as we got into this it's whole thing. It's all good. You can find me pretty much everywhere at GS Davis Art. Um, I do a, a video cast now every weekday from 10 to noon. Um, you can find it if you go to Facebook and go to GS Davis, uh, I think I'm just GS Davis on Facebook these days, but you can find me if you search for GS Davis art. Um, you can also find me on Twitch and uh, YouTube as well, also broadcasting, because I have found this cool app that allows me to broadcast to all of them at the same time. So, um, and, and really all I do is I just, uh, I sit there and draw and you can join me and have coffee and chat and we can talk about things that, really aren't as third rail <laughs> absolutely so yeah, thank you for having me on the show though i appreciate yeah that. thank you for your input and your thoughts on all this and um check out guy's work he's does some amazing artwork and he's uh got a lot of uh, uh art coming up too he's got some big stories he's going to tell so i'm excited to see what he's got uh as for us you can obviously find us at Synthaholics.com. If you want to retort, if you have other things to say, we do not mind hearing what you have to say. And if you want us to read it on uh, the podcast, we'll do that too. Uh, you can email us at Synthaholics at Yahoo.com. You can also uh, hit us up on our Facebook group, our uh, Facebook forward slash groups forward slash Synthaholics. Uh, you can uh Contact us through Twitter at uh, Synthaholic Duo. Uh, we appreciate anything you have to say. If you have something different or you have a different feeling, we would definitely love to hear from you. We know this is an important topic for uh, not just our nation, but the whole world. Um, and if this show is something you want to uh, support, please go to our Patreon, Patreon forward slash Synthaholics. And, uh, you can throw some money out way. Uh, Guy and David, thank you so much for uh, talking about this subject. It's uh, it's heavy stuff, but I think it needs to be talked about. And thank yeah, you for absolutely. giving me a forum. I've been I've been trying to kind of lie low on this one, but I appreciate being able to say something. Yeah, no, I'm glad we had your input. And um, guys, uh, it's, it's the ev- sequel to Eight Years of Sanctuary. We got to have yeah. on. It was the three of us last time. It's got to be the three of us this time. And then in four <laughs> more years, we can just call it Sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, I know. And without um, here, we're unsupervised. Just like we are with geek tape that doesn't have uh, Chelsea. <laughs> We're unsupervised. Um, so, guys, uh, um, we appreciate you listening to us. Uh, next week, we'll get back into the expanse, and uh, we'll be talking more about that. Um, if also, if you have not heard, we are doing our Dune series. Please check that out. We're uh, analyzing Dune two chapters at a time in anticipation for the movie. So. Uh, 
it's going to be it's been a fun discussion so check that out as well all right uh guys thank you so much for joining us and live long and prosper one and all well mccoy my boy come mix me a drink before the night's over i'll puke in the sink and we'll cry till we laugh and we'll both shit our pants you're the best drinking friend i ever had Guy, I finished Final Fantasy VII. So if y'all ever oh, do wow. that, if y'all ever so do I, that, I'm on. Yeah, I know. It's like that's the thing. I got a quick question. Are yeah. you hearing me talk like this? What? Aha! I was worried about that. Can you hear me better when I talk like this? Yeah. Yes. The entire night, I think you guys have been on my uh, my webcams microphone, and I have been talking very intently into my really nice audio system that I think Skype has decided doesn't exist. Well, that's that's why we were like, uh, said we didn't hear the dulcet sounds of Guy Davis, because I don't think your webcam can do that for you. I don't think it can either, and I feel really bad that was such a good episode, and I feel like it is going from the wrong uh, audio. Tell me if you can hear the dulcet tones now. Now we hear the dulcet tones. They are so dulcet. I don't think they've ever been as dulcet as this before. This makes me aggravated because I've been talking so close to this microphone this entire night. And you could have heard me like this, so clear and crystal clear. And you instead, know what the problem is, guy, you're a tinker, and every time you tinker, it's you, so you, true. Mess, you you, you got to stop tinkering. Just go lit- with what works. You're always tinkering before the show. <laughs> I'm messing with something before the show every time. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, you sound like the rest of us, not dulcet. Right. So well, it's that's an our- even playing field. <laughs> right. We can't all sound as good as Guy. <laughs> oh well, you know, my dad always said I had a face for radio. <laughs> I had a raid for facio. Right, there you go. Um. Uh. Yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. Anyways, we're gonna. Uh. This are we? This gonna be the week after, right? Yeah, because uh, Expanse comes out tomorrow. Right. I've got this. the artwork for Expanse. Did I load that up already? To um. Right. Don't know. I, I, I love I, the expanse. Let me look. Look. Oh, if you love if the you expanse. A, if you ever need a third for expanse, give me a holler. Oh, okay. Nice. Nice. I am a major expanse nut. Uh, we are, I've we read are, all the books. Uh, we were so oh, oh. so pumped for expanse. Yeah, that's what it's been so good. Well, I just keep bringing it up. It's so. a good point. It was a, it was an extraordinarily valid point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. It was. Uh, and I was like thinking about how to like make it work with what I was trying to say too. Like I was like, I was ready to just get it in there. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Dave, let's get to work. Uh, guy, it was great talking to you. It was awesome being on the show, guys. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry I didn't have my dulcet tones set up. We'll, nah, remind me not to tinker next time. It's all, now, it's all good. Now we'll know to hold you a higher standard, <laughs> right? Yeah. Hold me to a higher standard. So we're just like, dulcet, not dulcet. <laughs> I think it's so funny because, of course, my camera is behind me. So the entire night, not only was I talking, um, oh, you know, away from, like, far away from my camera, but I was facing away from the camera. Oh, wow. So this entire night, you've been picking up, like, the worst possible audio profile you can possibly get. That's funny. It is horrible. <laughs> I wish my computer wouldn't would stop saying, 
oh, you have a webcam. Obviously, you want to use video and audio from the webcam all the time by default. Well, I mean, like, I mean, every time you spoke, we could hear you. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. it was fine. But this is so much clearer and nicer right here. And deeper. deeper. And deeper. Deeper and deeper. That's what she said. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the new thing on Geek Tank. The mom jokes, your mom, and now that's what she said. These are the two. Th- we can't be, I don't think we can ever get above like 12 on Geek Tank. We're not allowed to. Nah. At least why, Troy and why, I. And why? And why? Yeah. I, I, right. Exactly. Now, Chelsea, Chelsea's like the adult in our group. That's why every time she's not there, we're like, we're unsupervised. <laughs> Pull your dicks out. Woohoo. <laughs> 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 so it's wonderful oh well I, I enjoyed being with you guys tonight and awesome. uh, like I said if you need a third for the expanse give me a holler yeah definitely yeah. will yeah let me know and, uh, Final Fantasy 7 sometime I finished the remake and I'm like partially way through the original again wow that's yeah well you you really though you'll need Chelsea for that one I never played much past the first two <laughs> Ages of Final Fantasy, uh, and I was like, "That's it. I'm done with this game. It's so irritating. Uh, <laughs> it frustrated me, so I gave up on it. Uh, so I've never, but I love all the cutscenes. The cutscenes were incredible. Yeah, they were. I mean, back then that was like cutting edge 3D tech too. And and they were still like trying to be super cinematic, even though they were like so awful looking. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It was beautiful, mm-hmm. gorgeous. Okay, guys, I'll see you guys later. Have a good evening, or in this case for you guys, a good morning. Have a good morning. Yes, good morning. And Eric, as much as I was joking, I'm glad you weren't arrested or shot or gassed or anything. It was a concern, but it was was a wonderful experience. I'm glad you did it. I'm glad you did it. Me too. All right, guys, well, have a good night. Uh, Dave, I'll have everything up to you here in the next couple minutes. Yep, and I'll work on it and get it up, try to... Before I go to sleep, hopefully. Sweet. All right. right. Good night, folks. Take care. Yeah, um, Cartman is officially the voice of Shout Out Mapes. I see. Hey, Aaron, you didn't get yourself arrested. I'm amazed. Uh, Uh, I I, I wondered if it was going to happen. I know. I did, too. I was kind of worried about you. I I screenshotted uh, that little bit of conversation we had and and sent it to Guy. Uh, (laughs) And I was was dutifully entertained. It was great. Um, No, I wasn't arrested, thankfully. And uh, it was really a great... Or anything like that. Guy was. was yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guy, guy said he was going to be super proud of you if you uh, if you seduced the warden. Yep. <laughs> I was totally going to be ready to be super he, proud. He, of you. he was going to be like he was going to like a, a big old clap session for you on the show. <laughs> a slow clap. I uh, I messed with my my board this afternoon, so like all of my settings. So I'm going all over the place. I apologize. On, on my board here. So I, no. uh, since yeah. I've been doing daily broadcasts, uh, yeah. I I actually like upgraded my board. I stole the the uh, the soundboard from Geek Tank because they're actually going to buy a newer and better board before we start broadcasting again. And because we're doing great broadcasting from home right now, so right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was like, well, if you don't need that old mixer, I'm going to plug it into my computer permanently and leave that old mixer here so that it never moves. And then put a nice microphone up here so that I can 
broadcast and stuff. So, mm-hmm. and the, but uh, when I do the broadcast on, what are those called? The 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 uh, restream. Restream's great, but the problem, of course, is you've got pretty much go live or don't go live. <laughs> you know, there's no mixing capability or anything like that. There's certainly no ability to put music in. Okay. So one of the reasons that I did this was now I can put music and plug it in to port two on my mixer and mix music in. Nice. For so my live broadcasts. It's going to be a lot of Bee Gees, right? Naturally. I mean, why wouldn't it be? Ah, 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 ah. Staying alive. Staying alive. Staying undead. Staying undead. <laughs> <laughs> That's your coronavirus song. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. oh man yeah so anyways uh yeah so we are um talking about far beyond the stars which is kind of like our pa- uh, uh her sequel to past tense four years to sanctuary yeah and i re-listened to that the other I'm, night i'm getting kind of disturbed by how Spot on. DS Nine's getting. Yeah, DS Nine's getting a little too weird, too close for comfort. DS9. If there's a, if there's a war with the Dominion, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> right. Although, hey, I'll get an Akira class out of it, so there's nothing wrong with that. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put the bright side on this one. <laughs> exactly. Maybe. Um, is there anything we want to bring up uh, news-wise? I, I don't think there's anything on the Trek yeah. radar that I'm aware of. Somebody, uh, um, did, okay, so talk to me a little bit about, did you guys just see that Lieutenant, the, the guy that played Lieutenant Kyle passed away, but he passed away like in November? That was the guy from uh, Wrath of Khan, right? Uh, well, he, he was an original series crew member. He was the transporter chief. Oh, was he? Okay. In Toss. Yeah, I didn't. I, I saw that he passed away, but I I was like kind of like okay. I mean, I, not that I don't think that obviously it's sad that he's passed away, but I mean, there's like how many people were on those shows? <laughs> well, that, and we're hitting know. that era now where you know the people from I mean Shatner himself is in his eighties. Shatner is due any moment. I mean, yeah. I don't know when Shatner's going to kick it, but I mean, let's face it, he's he's up there now. You know, sadly enough, I'll, 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 I'll cry when he dies. I know he's kind of an unsufferable asshole sometimes, but he was yeah, he was pleasant to Aaron and I when we got our picture asshole. taken with him. Yeah, he was nice. Yeah, he's, he was nice to us. You know, gave us a hand job. What? Uh, I don't remember that. No, oh. oh. <laughs> you had to you had to pay extra for that. Oh. <laughs> Gotcha. I don't remember that part. <laughs> Anyways. Oh my god. Oh my god. Aaron it's nice having, not having Polly here. We can, we can say these things. We can say a lot of weird things now. We yeah. can say Trump sucks. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm going to. I'm fiddling with knobs again. <laughs> Sorry. Just How do I sound? Knobs. Do I sound good? Yeah, you sound good. Sounds good to me. Yeah, good, good, good. I don't have the dulcet tones that you like. Uh, they're I'm not sort of dulcet. They're, they're, they're as not good as, as dulcet as normal. 